thanks to Hello Monday from LinkedIn for supporting Industry Focus. Hello Monday is a new podcast from LinkedIn's editorial team about how to get the most from Monday and your career. Find Hello Monday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It is Friday, March 8th, and we finally got our hands on Lyft's financials. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Evan New on Skype. Evan, not only do I have you on Skype, but you can now see me on Skype. That's a whole new world. It's a whole new world. Thanks to a lot of hard work from our man behind the glass, Austin. Uh, we can now see each other. So hopefully we can kind of pick up on some of those nonverbal cues, maybe get a little bit of a, you know, more banter back and forth. I'm very excited. <laughs> But this is the kind of stuff that uh, we are trying to do to keep making our podcast offering better and better. Um, Evan, pretty busy week for you. Uh, you know, you cover the tech beat, and you cover a lot of our really high-profile tech companies. We finally have a chance to look at the financials for Lyft, which is going to be one of the big IPOs of 2019. We couldn't not talk about it this week. Yeah, they, they dropped it last week, but I know you had something else planned for the show, so we had to wait a little bit, but gave me more time to dig into uh, what's going on. Pretty you know, high-profile company. A lot of people are excited, particularly investors, to get a um, potentially get a piece of this company. Yeah, there was a part of me that was a little sore that they released the information on a Friday just after we had finished outlining another show. But so be it. We had more time to do our preparation. Today, we're going to be talking about their books. We're going to talk about some of the core business metrics, what people need to be aware of with this company. And then we're going to take some listener questions as well, because we put out a call on Twitter just to see what people want to hear about. Um, Before we get into the in depth discussion, though, there are probably some folks that are a little unfamiliar with Lyft or maybe don't know about the full depth of its product offering. Evan, you want to give them the rundown? Sure. Most people probably are kind of familiar with their ride-sharing operations, where you, know, you have an app on your phone and you can pretty much call a ride anytime you need to go somewhere. And instead of like a traditional cab coming, it's just another person, another you know, regular person that's a driver uh, comes and picks you up. And you know, this whole space has been kind of blowing up a lot over the past few years. Uh, and more broadly, this you know they consider themselves a transportation as a service company. Uh, alternatively, other companies call mobility as a service. You know whatever you want to call it. And it's basically getting people from point A to point B and in, in whatever way possible. And a lot of these companies are also expanding into other areas. They they do are. They do want to develop autonomous driving technology. They're now getting into e-scooters, which is like the latest thing. Got some startups that have really entered this market in a big way with these e-scooters. You can rent for super cheap, and you know maybe travel short distances. Lyft is getting into that too. Uh, so yeah, they they're, they got their hands in a lot of pieces. Of this. Yeah, most people think ride hailing with this business. Scooters are kind of a new development. Uh, we looked through the prospectus. Didn't get a lot of information about the scooter world for them, aside from the fact that it is non-material and not something uh, that really has a very different revenue profile than the core ride-hailing business. So when we talk about the financials for this company, we're really talking about ride-sharing, ride-hailing. Right. They they only got into scooters a few months ago, I believe, in September. They actually launched here in Denver, where I live, and I, I don't go downtown too often. My wife my wife works downtown, but I have seen a couple of them um, already. You know, here and there. Whenever I do go down there, uh, they're kind of all over the place, just kind of scattered around. That's been my experience in D.C. as well. They're very popular there. We have Lyft, Uber, Lime, Bird, all big four competitors in that market, and. Uh, Columbia Heights metro area is just covered in scooters. They're all over the place. Sometimes they're halfway down. It, that, that's a 
cranky old man problem for me to have. But um, it is very fun to drive them around. I will say that. Um, within the core ride hailing market for this company, they are really kind of number two in the United States. Uber can't talk about Lyft without talking about Uber. Is the number one player by Lyft's estimates? They have about thirty nine percent of the U.S. market. They have been growing their market share as well too. I mean, Uber has had plenty of mistakes and stumbles on their part in terms of like you know corporate culture, ethics, all sorts of things. And I think that kind of tarnished the brand a little bit a couple of years ago. And I think Lyft was able to capitalize on that and really kind of establish himself as, hey, we're, we're more of an ethical company. And you know people like that. I mean, personally, I don't use Uber for exactly those reasons. So if I do need to catch a ride somewhere, I, I, I have a car and I live in the suburbs, so I don't take ride sharing as much as you might do. But if I do, I take a Lyft. Yes, and I am intimately familiar with this company's product because I do not have a car and I live in a city, so I am taking ride sharing pretty much all the time when I'm trying to get anywhere that isn't easily metro accessible. Um, I am not the only one, Evan. This is a company that is doing quite a bit in revenue, $2.2 billion in 2018. And you mentioned the growth earlier, up 103% year over year. So this company is really moving along with the top line. Uh, that revenue is becoming a larger and larger portion of the overall billings. And just as a quick kind of that's how this number works. Billings is something you can kind of think of the same way that PayPal has facilitated payments or total payment volume. Um, that is what they make through their platform. That 2.2 billion is actually what they bring in in sales. Right. So they have a bookings number, which is you know pretty much what they charge for the rides. It excludes certain things like pass through amounts. Like if you tip your driver, uh, that just goes straight to the driver. That's not included in bookings. And then their revenue is a cut of that total bookings. And you know that percentage of how much. Uh, they're keeping on average is a pretty important figure, and that has been steadily rising over the years. Yeah, and so for them, they're basically making money on what they make in terms of service fees for getting those riders hooked up with the drivers, and then a commission as well. And so that that's where most of the revenue is coming, especially on the ride sharing side of the business. Pretty big revenue number there, two point two billion. Pretty big loss number as well, Evan. Yeah, they're they're bleeding out quite a bit, and you know, even though they're growing in terms of these you know, rider metrics, their operating losses are also widening. So this business is still you know, very unprofitable, and you know, not really clear how they can get to get to profitability. A big part of that is the fact that they are doing quite a bit of discounting, quite a bit of marketing in an effort to combat Uber and kind of become the de facto player in this space. That's to me one of the big things that I'm concerned about with this company, and what I've been looking into a lot is, you know, the, it's always been about price because ride sharing is fundamentally very commoditized. As long as you can get the person from where they need to go, it's really all they, that person cares about is how much they're paying. So it's really going to be a cutthroat business. And you know, Uber and Lyft have always offered rides extremely cheaply, um, and that's you know a part of why they've taken over and really hurt the cab industry. But at the same time, if if in my opinion, I feel like they've they've brought these you know prices down to these unsustainably low levels, and it's really hard to bring them back up if you've established this precedent and consumer perception of what something should cost. It's much easier to go down than it is to go up. And the way that those discounts show themselves in Lyft's financials, it's a little funky because some of them come through as a marketing cost, some of them come through as a reduction in revenue. A little tricky to work through that. Right. And that's exactly another thing that's that's concerning to me because I want to know how much this company is spending total on these rider incentives like promotions and discounts. But depending on the, the nature of the promotion, it, it gets booked as either a reduction in revenue or as a sales and marketing expense. So it's kind of split up. And furthermore, you know, they do disclose a number within sales and marketing, but they 
they bundle it and aggregate it with another program, which is driver referrals. So driver referrals and uh, rider incentives in 2018 were about $300 million, which is about a third of their total sales and marketing expense. But that also doesn't tell you how much was you know, a, re- a reduction of revenue. That doesn't tell you how much is allocated to which. So there's a lot of questions still here in terms of how much they're spending to basically subsidize these rides. Yeah, we mentioned the losses. You combine marketing with those SG&A expenses, you've got a $1.4 billion cost combo right there. Uh, no, the, it's part of the total. The 300 is part of the okay. Yes, yes. Uh, and some of the other big line items for this company, uh, their R&D spend, pretty high. Um, that is tied to a lot of the efforts we're going to get into later in terms of where this industry is going, but that's not going anywhere either. Um, they do give us a breakout of how things look on a contribution margin basis, which is kind of nice. I appreciate dusting off my managerial accounting textbook and getting a look at that side of the business. You don't always get that, Evan. Right. I mean, they're growing quite a bit there, and I think that's you know another one of these kind of non-gap metrics that they're <laughs> that they're trying to you know, give you. And you know, I think contribution margin was forty-two percent or so uh, last year. Yeah, that's about right. I think uh, you look cost of revenue one point two four billion on that two point two billion in sales, and I think that. That's kind of as close as we're going to get to some unit economics um, discussion from this company. It's kind of tough to pinpoint exactly what uh, they will be doing on an operating profit basis, just because uh, the subsidies make it kind of tough. Uh, but you know, this is kind of what we have to settle for, Evan. Right, and that's kind of you know I would like to get down into it, but it's t- it's tough because every ride is different. You know, every ride is different in terms of the distance traveled, how long it takes. What market you're in? I mean, there's so many factors that you know, really kind of boiling down into the underlying economics is really challenging. With without them giving us more information. Yeah, we mentioned the growth story over 100% last year. This company put up just about 300 million in revenue in 2016. So they are still very early on in their growth phase, and and I think that. While it's helpful to look at the financials, it's really good to look at some of the core business metrics with a company like this too, and get a sense of what is going on. Uh, for me, the big ones are active riders, uh, their revenue per active rider, and then uh, some of the things that are a little bit more as a service. Why don't we talk about some of those, Evan? Sure. So, active riders—they've uh, like more than tripled their user base over the past couple of years, and so now they're at about eighteen point six million. Uh, revenue per active rider is also increasing, which is a good, healthy trend that we, that you like. Uh, I think in the fourth quarter it was around thirty-six dollars, um, and uh, you know the total number of rides is also you know, increasing. Kind of at the same pace. Like if you look at if you divide it out, like the rides per active rider, the frequency of rides which you know, the average person is taking is growing, but not like super fast. So, for example, it was like 8.3 back in the first quarter of 2016, and now it's like 9.6. So, is some growth there, which does suggest that the average person is using the service more. But it's not like some crazy number, like 8 to 12 or 8 to 15 or something like that. Yeah. We talked about how this is a company that is kind of billing itself as an as-a-service business. Um, it's kind of hard not to hear that and then think about the numbers that a software as a service company might be providing. We see something kind of similar to that when they break out their numbers as well. I really like this. They give their customer cohorts by year and kind of track what their usage looks like year to year. I think that's a really helpful look into what's going on in terms of user experience and just how engaged people are with the service. Right, I think that you know that is kind of another angle that they're looking at in terms of you know people that have been on the platform longer end up using the service more and more. So that that is another angle to kind of look at how often people are using the service. 
to put some numbers to that, the 2015 cohort, which is the first one they make available, took 25 million rides in year one. 2018, we have 67 million rides from that cohort. Uh, we've seen pretty solid growth at pretty much every group that they've brought in, but most of that growth is being realized in the second year of the customers. After that, it's more marginal growth. Uh, so that is something to kind of keep in mind. I think that that is a number they will probably spend a decent amount of time touting um, because they are trying to build themselves as an as a service player rather than just you know linking people up and having that be the business. Right. I think that you know overall the the broader industry does have a lot of healthy trends going on for it, and you know they point to a lot of these things like you know people tend to underutilize their cars, and you know in terms of asset efficiency, like it's better to share a ride. Uh, we we collectively allocate way too much real estate to parking, you know things like that. So I do think that they have a lot going for them, and, and not only them, but just the broader kind of transportation as a service trend that we've been seeing. Yeah, and in some ways, I think that they're pretty early on uh, in the growth story, even on the customer side. You know, uh, living in a city, all of my friends have Lyft. I think most of them probably have Uber installed on their phones too. Um, but to see that that number of active riders is only about eighteen point six million, that shows to me that we're still kind of in the early innings of ride sharing and ride hailing. Right. I think they estimate that they they account for only about one percent of. Total right or total miles traveled in the U.S. so far, so that's still a pretty small number. I mean, where the limit is, because certainly people, a lot of people, always still just want their car for that sense of freedom and independence that you can just do whatever you want. Uh, so I think there is some limit, but you know, certainly way higher than one percent. All right, we've got some questions from the Twitterverse. We're going to tackle those on the back half of the show. Before we do, though, a quick word from our friends at Hello Monday. Over the course of a lifetime, the average person spends more than 115,000 hours at work, or about 13 years. So, finding a way to make work more rewarding, fulfilling, and enjoyable is pretty much guaranteed to be a good use of your time. Hello Monday is a new podcast from LinkedIn's editorial team about how to get the most from Monday and your career. Each week, host Jesse Hempel sits down with featured guests to investigate the role work plays in our lives, uncovering lessons you can apply to your own career. So whether you're five hours from your first job or have just 500 left until retirement, you'll be ready to take on Monday and the rest of the work week with the knowledge to make your career work for you. The show just launched. Its first episode came out this week. If you are a fan of Seth Meyers, you should definitely check it out. He is their guest, and he talks all about managing talent and setting the people that work for him up for long-term success. You can find Hello Monday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Evan, I mentioned on Twitter that we were going to be talking about Lyft, and I wanted to see what followers were interested in. We've got a few questions here. We're going to kick things off with a question from Monique, and she says, with Lyft, can we trust the corporate governance? And I think this question probably gets at some things that we've talked about in the past when we've done these prospectus shows. I'm thinking specifically about Snap here. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the, the reality these days is that so many of these companies that go public really love this kind of, especially particularly tech companies in Silicon Valley. They they have this really founder based approach to how they treat corporate governance, and Lyft is no different. It's not as bad as Snap, where they're not giving public investors any votes, but Lyft is very much doing a dual share class structure again, like we've seen these other companies do. So the, the shares that they're selling to public investors will be Class A shares. They'll be 
one vote per share. The Class B shares will, will only be held by co-founders Logan Green and John Zimmer. Those get 20 votes per share. Uh, there's still a lot of blanks to be filled in in this prospectus uh, since it's just still the first draft. So we don't know exactly how much voting power they're going to have, but I think it's expected to be around 50%. Now, whether or not that number falls you know, above 50%, below 50% is going to be a pretty, pretty big thing to keep an eye on because if they have over 50% voting power, they have majority control combined and public investors don't have a lot too much they can do to influence these key decisions. Um, so that, that's one number to keep an eye out for. All right. We have another question, and this is from at finance tweeting. No name, no name associated with the account, so we're just going to have to go with at finance tweeting. Uh, and this person asks, what do their driverless car efforts look like? How do they stack up to Uber? And I think this is the multi billion dollar question for this industry. You know, autonomy is going to be such a big part of how these businesses really make the numbers work. It really is. And to me, I think that's really, you know, can they create sustainable businesses? Because that's going to be a huge part of keeping their costs in line, allowing them to scale. Uh, Lyft is investing aggressively in autonomous technology, but they're kind of late to the game. I mean, they started uh, back in 2017, you know, whereas other people have been around for much longer. Uh, The big one is Waymo, Alphabet subsidiary Waymo, which also incidentally is an investor in Lyft. And today announced that they're actually going to start selling their LiDAR sensors as a way to try to bring these costs down. So they're making some big moves on their own. Uh, Uber had killed off its self-driving program in Arizona after one of their vehicles killed a pedestrian in a kind of high-profile accident you know, in recent memory. Uh, Tesla's out there, too. Uh, Tesla has a very different technological approach. They're not using LiDAR, whereas everyone else is. And then you know, Tesla's you know, semi-autonomous slash autonomous technology is very controversial in its own right. But they, they do hope to eventually compete with their own Tesla network, where you know, people can just click on their, on their app, hey, share my car, and then someone else can summon it and basically use it as a rideshare. Um, Lyft also acquired Blue Vision Labs in October, which is a computer vision company that will be part of their kind of self-driving program. And they also have a third-party you know, company, Aptive, which has a fleet of autonomous vehicles that are already on Lyft's network. Uh, and they've done about 35,000 autonomous rides so far. If it wasn't clear from the beginning of that answer, there are a lot of players that are in the autonomous driving space. You spent a lot of time talking about the tech players. There are also the legacy auto manufacturers that are in this space, too, um, which is going to make it really hard. You know, I think the reality is uh, these businesses, especially Google um, and some of the bigger players, they just have a little bit more money to work with than a company like Lyft. Right, and I mean it's a good point that you made too. But the legacy auto auto players too, like GM has Cruise. I mean, a lot of the, autonomous driving is is a huge thing that everyone is after. But it's such a complicated challenge. Even Apple is going after it at this point. I mean, it's just so complicated, and there's so many scenarios that you know people run into when you're driving that. You know, it, it's really kind of up in the air. It's like when this technology will be ready in general at like you know wide scales to where everyone can have access to it. Uh, but I do think it's still you know quite a few years away. Yeah, the the reason that there's so much focus on it though is you think about the current model, right? And you have Lyft connecting riders looking to get from A to B with drivers that are happy to take them there. Right now those are human drivers and that's the biggest cost center for Lyft, you know, is paying out these fares. Uh, if they were instead to be able to have a fleet of autonomous vehicles or some sort of licensed autonomous technology, what have you, um, to reduce what you're actually paying people and maybe have it spread over a fixed cost makes it a lot easier for a ride-sharing business to become profitable. 
Right, and it simplifies their operations so much. I mean, these companies fight with their drivers so much in terms of how they treat them as far as, you know, contractors versus full-time employees. If they're full-time employees, they have all these benefits you got to give. And, you know, it's just a, it's just hugely complicated trying to manage this uh, driver base. And Lyft now has 1.1 million drivers on the platform. Uh, so, yeah, autonomy is kind of like th- their way to cut them out. But, that you know, it's not good for those drivers' livelihoods, but that would be good for Lyft's bottom line. It might be the only thing that's also proprietary about this industry, right? You know, one of the things we look at is getting A to B is kind of a commodity. Uh, the service is nice. You know, you want to be giving money to a brand that you think is kind of warm and fuzzy, Lyft over Uber, perhaps. But um, if they were able to do this before other companies were able to, well, that'd be a huge advantage because they would have a fleet that is exclusively theirs. Right now, so many of the drivers that drive for Lyft also drive for Uber. Right, and that's yeah, kind of speaks to how commoditized all of this is, because all the people care, all drivers care about is just getting people to you know to take the rides, and all the riders care about is price. (laughs) Right. All right, we have one more question, and this is from Josh, and he asks, "What does the path to profitability look like for Lyft?" We did an overview discussion of some of the major costs. I think that that's probably where this conversation has to start. Yeah, I think you know, I mean, we just. Talked about the autonomous part of it. I think that's a big piece of it to me. Like, I'm not interested in Lyft as it is right now because it's still, I don't think the the numbers work out too great. Uh, and over time, if they can get this autonomous technology down, that would help reduce all their costs. But then also, like we mentioned earlier, the the piece on the discounts and you know the true cost of these prices or the tr- true cost of these rides. And certainly, if you can reduce the cost of the rides on in terms of like an autonomous car versus a human driver, that would allow you to have cheaper prices too. But that's not the reality right now. Yeah, I think that there is room in the model for profitability, but it's going to be a big question mark, right? Like uh, maybe the goal with these types of businesses is to own certain geographies and kind of dominate those markets. You know, once you've really established yourself as the provider in a specific space, um, you can kind of slowly creep prices up. That might be a way to do it, but in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of discounting along the way. And if you stop doing that discounting, you might have a bunch of people defecting and going to other apps. All right, and Uber has shown this willingness to burn incredible amounts of money just to have the lowest prices and grab as much market share as possible. And that's put a lot of competitive pressure on Lyft. And Lyft, in this filing, you know, as a risk factor, does note of how competitive it is and how sensitive. Uh, the riders are to the prices, so you know when when you don't have a lot of pricing power, you have a lot of costs. It, it's really hard to squeeze out a profit. And you know something you and I touched on earlier is, is on the safety front. You know I, I'm not a fan of these companies because I don't think they have as you know as much safety regulations in place versus traditional cabs. And you know there's been lots of stories of, over the years about bad things happening, and that's never a good thing. You want these platforms to be safe, but if you're losing all this money, you know. It makes sense that they're so resistant to putting, you know, being more rigorous with safety when they're already losing so much money, and it's going to cost even more to kind of, you know, vet these drivers better. Yeah, and as they try to become more profitable, try to eke more out by raising their fees or possibly raising their commissions. That's the kind of thing that angers the drivers, and that's the lifeblood of this business because whoever has the biggest fleet is really going to be in the best position to capture most of the market. Yeah, exactly. So I think that you know, they do have a lot of encouraging signs in terms of the core rider metrics. But there are a lot of concerns that I have in terms of the underlying economics and the sustainability 
when you look at all these other angles. Yeah. We will be following up on this once we get a firmer sense of where these shares are pricing and what valuation looks like. But hopefully, that's a decent overview for right now. Evan, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass and finally connecting me and Evan via video. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.